The best place for Columbia College news. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about. They're calling for one Chicago. This is Chronicle Headlines. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Chronicle Headlines. I am your host, as always, Blaze Mesa. Bringing you some more coverage of your campus when it's nice and cold out. I know Thanksgiving's about a week or two away, so there's always that to look forward to, I guess. But on today's program, we'll be discussing Rage Rooms, a week of the Chronicles photography coverage, and the ultimate Frisbee team here at Columbia. On last week's episode of Chronicle Headlines, we brought in Alexandra Yetter to the studio to talk about parental leave policies at Columbia. This week, we have additional reporting for that story. Columbia is looking into changing its parental leave policies. A November 1st statement sent to the Chronicle said, As part of that review, President Kim has asked human resources to take steps to make our parental leave benefits more responsive to the needs of our diverse faculty and staff. We look forward to continued dialogue on this topic, the statement read. There is also a correction to issue. Last week on Chronicle Headlines, we reported that Columbia's parental leave policy is up to 12 weeks of FMLA, which is the Family Medical Leave Act. Columbia's policy is actually 13 weeks of FMLA. The Chronicle regrets this error. Our next story is about nonprofit organization Dream On Education. Dream On Education works with high-achieving 6th to 8th grade students to prepare them for high school and college. Kelly Haywood is the founder of Dream On Education and said the program provides enrichment services, scholastic development, mentoring, career, and cultural exposure. I have a lot of family members and friends that either either live in or currently live in um, low-income communities that are really bright, talented people uh, that simply lack access to resources and opportunities. And there are a lot of young people like that. They simply just need that access. Junior music business major Kaylin Lur said she was a high-performing junior in high school, but she did not have honors classes or honors programs at her school. She said if she was pushed to work harder earlier, she could have been a better student who was more prepared for college. I felt prepared, but they didn't give us a lot of... I didn't learn how to study right because it was so easy Mm -hmm. and I didn't learn how to like work hard for a long period of time because it was so easy so that's something I've had to adjust to. Dream On Education partners with Tanner Elementary School in Chatham, Kenwood Academy School in Hyde Park, KIPP Academy in Austin, and Perspectives Math and Science Academy in Bronzeville with the hope of expanding to another school this year. Moving over to our next story, international students who hold F, J, and M visas could be barred from re-entering the country without knowing, following a change in the unlawful presence policy. Under the new policy, international students will no longer be notified by the Department of Homeland Security if they are spending time in the country unlawfully. The previous unlawful presence policy provided essential notice to F, J, and M visa holders states a lawsuit filed against the U.S. Citizens and Immigration Services and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. The new policy's use of backdated, unlawful presence clock will render tens of thousands of F, 
J, and M visa holders subject to three to ten year reentry bars without the opportunity to cure, the lawsuit read. Unlawful presence is time spent in the country without being admitted, paroled, or authorized by the Department of Homeland Security. To avoid violating their status, international students must be full-time, have a valid passport, report any name or address changes, and work at jobs for which they are authorized, according to the International Student Handbook. But not every international student knows the difference between a lawful and unlawful day, such as sophomore international student from Beijing, Yu Sao, who is studying live and performing arts management at Columbia. Sao said there are faculty at Columbia who he can turn to if he has questions about his status. However, Sao said Columbia has not contacted him to alert him of the policy change, and Columbia has not updated their website as of press time. Vice Provost of Global Education Marcelo Sabatis has not responded to requests for comment as of press time. The lawsuit was filed by four colleges. We're going to switch gears and talk about smashing TVs with baseball bats for fun. And to do so, I'd like to welcome in Casey Watt to the studio, who worked on the story. Now, Casey, you covered Rage Rooms this week, uh, which is essentially a place you can blow off steam. But what is a Rage Room? Let's get more specific here. Yeah, so a Rage Room is a controlled space where you can go and take items like baseball bats and crowbars and use them to smash things like old TVs or plates or you can even go and like buy your own things and take them into the room and then use the supplied I guess weapons <laughs> to um, smash those things so actually during one of my interviews I had a girl who said that she went with her friends and they went to the dollar store beforehand and bought like small things but like interesting things that you wouldn't think to normally smash and they took all of those with them and then just you know, went to town. So you can bring your own things. I'm assuming there's restrictions that may vary by rage room or wherever you go. But uh, so you can smash like TVs and stuff. And is like a bat and a crowbar the extent of what you can smash it with? Or do you know if there's other things? You know, you I'm can... not sure because every rage room is different. Um, but the rage room that she attended supplied either a baseball bat or a crowbar. I couldn't imagine they could give you much else anyways. I mean... You could smash things with anything, realistically. So I mean, Yeah, but could you imagine how long the waiver has to be to <laughs> yeah. fill that out? Like, please don't sue us if the baseball bat hits you in the head or something. <laughs> yeah, you do have to sign, like, multiple liability waivers before you're allowed yeah, in. I think you have to sign a liability waiver if you enter an escape room, which is much different. You can mm -hmm. hardly touch half the stuff in an escape room. You can't, like, pull or tug on it. And this, you just get to, to smash things. Do you know how long... And now you said it was... Rage room by rage room, but do you know how long someone may be in there for? Or are they just kind of raging for whatever the the owners of that establishment sees fit? I think they're just kind of raging for whatever actually the person sees fit. If they are attending because they're trying to maybe work some aggression out, then I think they just go until they feel like they've, you know, like got a load off. But I also think that if you're just going for fun with your friends, like it's just kind of like... It is what it is. When you're done, you're done. I don't know if you can really go for fun. Unless you have something you really want to smash. It's like, this is fun. I get angry for fun. But um, I think you just kind of touched on something. Letting off steam, all that. Uh, what are some of the benefits of these rage rooms? Um, I think the benefits are more so just that instead of, like, 
physically, or sorry, not physically, but verbally having to talk out things that are bothering you, you can kind of put that aside and use any like pent up aggression or mm-hmm. emotions that you have and get rid of them in a physical way, which is not really usually how humans get rid of emotions like that because it's frowned upon, but um, in a rage room, it's encouraged. So I think that it differs in that way is just that it's like a different way for you to express your emotions and you don't necessarily have to be verbal. And I know a lot of people have like issues or trouble communicating emotions verbally. So I think it's just another outlet. And you did have someone in your story who mentioned that. So we can take a listen. You go in there under the idea that it's therapy actually is really relieving i'm sure there's people with their opinions against it but i think if more people took a crack at it i think they'd probably not have so many anger issues so that was jason heidel founder of make grandma smile is that is that a rage room or what exactly is that uh, Make Grandma Smile is actually a organization who raises money to help the elderly and specifically those with Alzheimer's. And um, it's not a rage room, but he and his team used a rage room as a fundraising tactic to like raise money for um, the elderly and such. Oh, okay. So there, it all connects <clears throat> now. But did you talk to anyone who owns, works at, or does whatever at a rage room? Yeah, I talked to the manager of Escapades, which is a rage room here in downtown, and um, he just told me a little bit about like what he sees on a daily basis, and it was really interesting. Ooh, what does he see on a daily basis? I think I want to know. So I think that um, this this example isn't necessarily what he sees on a daily basis, but he had one story that was really, really emotional, and he even had trouble telling it, but he said that... Um, They actually had a mother come in who had a child commit suicide, and she was really upset and really didn't know how to express herself and let go of those emotions. And he said that she just went into the rage room for like a few hours and was just smashing things and crying and screaming. And he said that like he was just there for her and like if she needed anything he was helping her so it was interesting to hear that like while they are there just to like make sure everything's safe they also are kind of a like a personal therapist for the people who come because they talk to them like through their and talk with them through their emotions and help them process everything so that was really interesting but on a daily basis I think it's more so that he was just saying like people come in and they just smash things and then leave and go back to their daily lives. Like, just because you're in there being violent doesn't mean that you're a violent person out in the real world. Yeah, that's an, actually a pretty good segue. I know we heard Jason Hyde a little bit ago talking about some of the benefits of rage rooms, but he also kind of mentioned, you know, like, there are probably some people who don't like it. And uh, I think in your story you talked to, um, it's like an anger management and, um, I forget his exact title, an anger management expert, an executive coach at Guide to Self, which is like, um, Guide to Self, it's like a self-guide type of, it's like an anger management place kind of? Yeah, it's, um, it's an organization that you can, like, acquire or acquire, inquire, and get um, help with coaching and processing like okay. emotions in your life so and helps. just guiding you to a better path and then for one your of them life. Would probably be anger management. Yeah. And that was John Schinnerer, a lot of R's, ER's in there, but he was not so sold on the benefits of rage rooms. I think many people would like to go and break things as a way to 
tap into their anger or let go of their anger. It, it's not a great way to go to deal with anger on a long-term basis. So you talked to someone who actually used a rage room. I know we talked a little bit about Jason earlier, but this was a firsthand experience of them in the room. What did they have to say about it? So I talked to a woman named Meg, and she actually went to the rage room for the purpose of just going with her friends to have fun. And it was just supposed to be like a new experience and a unique experience. And they were just going to have fun and see what it was like. And she said that they were surprised that afterwards they were able to sit down and talk about like everything that they felt they got off of their chest by smashing things. And that they were surprised how any like um, stress they had from work or annoyance they had maybe in their personal relationships in life, they felt like they had been lifted somewhat and that she just said that it was like a really good time for them and they listened to music and they just like went into the zone and smashed things. So I guess if you rage responsibly, so to speak, it can somewhat be therapeutic, but it does appear the jury is out um, a little bit. And I guess one way to decide uh, your thoughts on Rage Rooms is to go to ColumbiaChronicle.com and you can read the story. It's also in our print edition. I think it's in the arts and culture front. Yes. So, yeah, you can't miss it. A lot of photos of, of raging in, in rooms, so to speak. But before I go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what would you bring in? I know you could bring in anything you want. So let's say you had, I don't want to be like one item because it could be like a stack of plates or a stack of something. For the purposes of this question, that'll count as one thing. If you could bring in one thing, what would it be? That is so challenging. Um, I think I would bring in something from my past, some kind of item from my past that maybe was not a great time in my life, and I would just smash that, and it would symbolize kind of letting go of that time. Specifically, not sure what the item would be, but You'd definitely something that okay. held some kind of sentimental value or reason to it. Well, I feel weird with my answer now because <laughs> I, I would bring in a piggy bank because I've always wanted to smash one. But yeah, I guess you could do that. You could bring in a piggy bank. E either way, both work. Both, both work. work. And I think mine's a little cheaper. Uh, you know, yeah. To destroy a priceless memory. Well, okay. <laughs> Not a priceless memory. Just maybe a memory that you feel like you need to let go. It's time to let go and move on. But a piggy bank would be fun too. I feel like everyone's always wanted to do that. So Yeah. You could probably bring a hammer or a baseball bat. Either way, I'm finally smashing a piggy bank for the first time in my life. So that's something to look forward to. Um, but Casey, we are out of time. Thank you for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we're going to move over to some double barrel photo action. First up, we have Mike Rundle, the staff photographer, who was out covering the Jeff Sessions protest. A little later, we'll have Haley Parkinson, who was there on election night. But Mike, my first question to you... What exactly was going on there, Mike? I know I was a little confused. What were the, the people protesting or were they celebrating his resignation? You know, what's the dynamic here? Mm -hmm. So essentially, um, members from Indivisible Chicago planned this protest um, to essentially uh, push back against the forced resignation of Jeff Sessions from the United States Attorney General position. And the reasoning behind this is because that the now acting attorney general uh, has been a, an outspoken critic of Robert Mueller's investigation. 
and the attorney general position is the one that can or has the power to fire Mueller if they would like. So now, essentially, I know this is an acting guy, but the whole upset part of it is that Trump can appoint whoever he wants, and he's probably not going to appoint someone who is all up in arms about the investigation. He might get someone who is not a big fan of it, and the investigation could soon be over. So that that was a majority of the complaints. The, were any of them super upset about Sessions leaving, or was it more the appointment part? Um, I think, because it didn't seem like Jeff Sessions was anyone's favorite person um, to start with. So uh, I think it was more um, kind of the nuance of him being forced out and then um, the new acting attorney general, uh, Whitaker, taking his position. Um, I I also know that uh, Jeff Sessions was in Chicago, what, a week ago? I I believe so. It was something like that. I know we were there. We had the big... Well, that camera goodness, so you can go to ClinicChronicle.com or on our YouTube channel to see the video of him speaking, and he didn't really like the consent decree, so I don't think too many people in Chicago are big fans of Jeff Sessions, so mm-hmm. it was probably a, a little bit more towards the potential appointment or the full-time attorney general, but take us into the the brain of Mike Rundle. So you're covering the, the protest. It was a late protest, so it wasn't very light out. Is that right? It was. It was. It started at 5 o'clock, so now with, oh. the, with the time change, it was already dark outside. I mean, so. the darkest protest I've covered was overcast. You know, mm-hmm. they usually try and plan these protests in the morning. Is there any different dynamic, at least from a photo perspective, of trying to cover a protest at night? Mm-hmm. Uh, so i am been lucky enough to... Um, photograph with a lens um, with a very low aperture so I can essentially that means the 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 eye of the camera can open up a lot wider um, so uh, yes uh, that will uh, allow more light to get in when I'm taking the photos so um, using and I'm not to get too much into the gear stuff here but being able to have uh, a camera that can uh, that has that capability definitely allowed me to get more shots but the good part was too is that Chicago's never really a dark place, so there were a lot of lights around, and um, a lot of light came from headlights of cars that had been backed up uh, during rush hour, because it did, oh, like I okay. said, start at 5 o'clock. You know, you had police lights, um, street lights, of course, so it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, a too, it wasn't too dark, because sunlight didn't make uh, a huge difference, I so guess. We, so there were cars backed up that were illuminating the scene. Where was this protest taking place then? So they gathered at Federal Plaza near Dearborn and Adams. That's a, you know, a lot of protests happened there. Right, yeah. right. And then they, uh, I don't think they were originally planning to march, but then they decided to, and they're the representatives of Indivisible Chicago um, made, it, made it happen so where they could march. So then they marched toward uh, Trump Tower and stopped at the Wabash Avenue Bridge directly across the river from Trump Tower. Okay, and then what was the atmosphere like? I think there were a couple hundred people that showed up. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know of a good estimate as far as the attendance, but I can say that the march was probably uh, three to four plus blocks long when they actually did start marching. So it was a pretty good... Federal Plaza was was pretty much full. I've seen some estimations that it's 100, but if Federal Plaza's full, that may be in the thousands. I can't confirm that, so someone's going to have to double-check that for us. But mm-hmm. um, it was kind of a last-minute thing, wasn't it, this protest? Because uh, obviously we didn't expect him to resign or be right. pushed out at this time. Were there any good signs? I always like to hear about the signs of the protest. Um, there were a couple. Uh, I mean, always you know the ones comparing Trump to Nixon, uh, mm-hmm. things like that, things uh, very... 
uh, things highlighting uh, Robert Mueller and his investigation, his feelings on it. Um, any good puns? Any rhyming? I'm trying to think if there it was, was anything. I guess it was too last minute. They couldn't drop down a rhyme or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no, a haiku? I, no, there were there were some good ones. I just I, none come to mind right now. I feel like. Oh boy, Mike. I don't know. Your memory fails you. My memory is failing me right now. You have to check out the photo gallery online to see yeah. if you can uh, see if you can see any of your own favorite signs on yeah, it. Yeah, you'll have to give it a look. And I know in the paper we do have a featured photo in the Metro section. Did you take that one? I did take that photo, yes. Really? How many photographers went? It was just me then. Okay, yeah. so you did take that one, mm -hmm. yes. Um, okay, so if was that, was that your favorite photo? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That was probably one of the favorites. Um, the photo is, uh, the sign has the a big word no at the top, oh, yeah. and it's speaking about, like, the, the Trump-Pence administration mm -hmm. must must go, that type of thing, but the way the image is framed, it looks like it's kind of reading no Trump. Because um, it's right with next to the, the, Trump, the Tower. Trump Tower. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I saw the image. I was a big fan of it. Well, you mentioned the photo gallery, and before we let you go, we should probably tease that a little bit. What was your favorite photo on the photo gallery? Any good ones at Daily Plaza? Anything we're missing? Or Federal Plaza. Mm -hmm. Not Daily, Federal Plaza. Mm -hmm. Any fun ones there? Uh, yeah, there were definitely some good ones. Uh, Daniel Biss, State Senator Daniel Biss, was oh. actually in attendance. Um, was he just... Had, man, he was... Hmm. I didn't think he'd be around. Yeah. I thought he'd be doing other things. Yeah, he was around. He spoke for... Uh, for a couple minutes and had some good things to say and got a got an interesting photo of him and then uh, as well on the march to uh, the Wabash Avenue Bridge there were um, some interesting photos of the uh, the fairly large crowd as well. So. Yeah, probably a lot of high quality photos which you can check out at ColumbiaChronicle.com in the photo gallery. It's like the bottom of the homepage, but if you search Jeff Sessions protest, something to that effect, mm -hmm. it can come up. Mike, thank you for coming on today, but uh, thank you for having out of time me. here. Yeah, I'd like to welcome in Haley Parkinson, the other part of the photography tandem that was taking a lot of uh, I don't want to say once in a lifetime photos, but they were certainly very interesting. We had the Jeff Sessions protest that we just talked about with Mike Rundle, and now over to you, Haley. You were there when J.B. Pritzker won. You were there when uh, Kwame Raoul won, Eric Harold, no, not Eric Harold, uh, Susanna Mendoza, and it was the Democratic wave in Illinois, and you were at where exactly? It was the Marriott Marquis Hotel in the South Loop. Yeah, and that was the equivalent to the Democratic headquarters, but they weren't calling it that. So what was it like on election night when you were there, because you heard all these people speak, what was the crowd like when, you know, Democrat after Democrat kept winning? It was pretty intense. There was a lot of shouting and sign raising and yelling. I distinctly remember a guy in the front row just continuously yelling, yeah, yeah, um, at the screen as they continue to like show the Democrats um, yeah. going ahead. And I know Bruce Rauner conceded at around 7.30, 8 o'clock. I was on the air at WCRX with election coverage, and it didn't take too long for some people to get to the stage, but J.B. Pritzker didn't get up there until, I don't know, like eight, nine? He t it took about an hour, hour and a half, so did you, did you enjoy waiting, I guess is my first question here. I mean, I never enjoy waiting, but it was nice to get to really connect with the crowd as a photographer and get some good B-roll shots. Oh, the old B-roll, eh? It's crowd shots? I just... Yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. And then eventually J.B. Pritzker got up there and started talking about ketchup bottles and Superman and stuff. So it was 
a very interesting speech, but we do have a photo gallery up on ColumbiaChronicle.com. What were some of your favorite photos of the night that we should go take a look at? Um, definitely, like I mentioned, the guy in the front row, his enthusiasm was pretty apparent in the photos. Um, and then a lot of the photos of JB, there's one of him pointing almost directly at my camera, which was a really interesting... Oh my. maybe he was pointing to you! He might have been. Um, and then just like after they shot the confetti, that's always just a classic image. That was definitely one of my favorites. Oh, we got one with the confetti raining down? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm gonna go look at that. Oh yeah. It's a, we got a good crop of photos then. Mm -hmm. That's good to see. Yes. Is there anything else you want to tell us about election night? Uh, I just think it was an amazing turnout for Pritzker's um, night. Yeah, well, Haley, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. And over to our final story of the podcast with just a couple minutes to go. I'm going to welcome in Bridget Ekis, a multimedia reporter with The Chronicle who was covering uh, Ultimate Frisbee here at Columbia. So have we had an Ultimate Frisbee team for a while or did this just start? Uh, yeah, previously we've had a Frisbee team before, but um, at the end of the spring semester last year, they just started back up again. Okay, so it, it's another season. They're, they're getting back at it again. How many people do they have on the team? Um, according to their captain, Jake, they have a big team, about 20 people. Oh, oh my, because don't you only need like seven-ish for an Ultimate Frisbee team at one time? I believe so. I think when he was talking about when they play in tournaments together, it's like seven on seven. So so they have like three full teams going. Right, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, my. Well, let's get talking about this then. Um, speaking of tournaments, are they going to be in any tournaments? Uh, you know, what's up with the, the Ultimate Frisbee team? Um, so at the moment, they're co-ed, which is actually a rule that all Columbia Renegades teams need to be co-ed. Okay. Which kind of puts them in an awkward spot because, um, like, Loyola and DePaul have women's and men's teams. Oh. So they have to figure out a way to, like, get into a new league, um, like, in the Chicago area, and then hopefully they'll be competing in, like, tournaments. Okay, so right now they're it's like the application process, essentially. Trying to meet the requirements and get into a certain league, but... Um, what are they doing in the meantime? Then are they is there, are they doing practices? I mean, it's yeah. kind of cool. Mm -hmm. They're right this week. Yeah, they Ooh. practice every Saturday at Grant Park. Uh, they meet at Plymouth at ten a.m. and then they walk to Grant Park. Um, but they also do conditioning during the week. It is certainly not uh, ultimate frisbee weather, at least in my opinion. I guess that's why I'm not on the team because I wouldn't want to go out and do that in this weather. So they, I see that they're a little bit dedicated here, and they have, like, regular practices and all that throughout the week. So people out there who have no idea what we're doing, it's not like um, it's not like a, a recreational team. Like, this is an actual team that's going to go out and compete in tournaments. Yeah, they have funding from the school. They get equipment from the school. Actually, the practice I attended, it was pretty exciting because the captain was like, guys, we finally got equipment, and he whipped out, like, 20 Frisbees. 20, oh, do they lose Frisbees a lot? I know it, I've lost a lot of equipment in my day, and if it was just a Frisbee, I have a feeling I would lose it too, but I'm not an, also an ultimate Frisbee player, so did they, do they have problems losing Frisbees? Uh, I'm not sure. The part of Grant Park they practice in, it's pretty big, so I feel like it would be really easy to notice if So if they lost a Frisbee, track. they probably shouldn't be playing ultimate Frisbee. Probably, yeah, safe okay. to say. Got it. So then uh, what else is going on with this team? So they're starting back up, and they've got all this new equipment, 
It looks like they're really uh, ready to hit the ground running, but in the meantime, when they're not playing tournaments and not practicing, do they just play against themselves, or...? Yeah, so to clarify, their tournaments are just against themselves. So they have three captains, and each captain um, breaks off into little teams, and then they, like, practice and do tournaments, like, during practice. Okay, well, we've got about a minute left here, and I feel like it's always an important question to ask um, about teams and camaraderie and all that. What's it like uh, on the, the Ultimate Frisbee team? Are they pretty tight-knit, or is it kind of a, a group of strangers? Um, from what I observed when I was there, it was not a group of strangers. Um, they talked a lot about things that weren't Frisbee-related, and also the team was just full of people who are um, full of experience and not full of experience, so it was just really cool to see those people interacting with each other, and multiple times they kept just being like, Bridget, do you want to play? Like, here's Frisbee. And I was like, sorry, y'all, I can't, but... They're super welcoming and nice, which is great to see. And you can learn more. And we actually have GoPro footage, right? Yeah. On the, mm-hmm. It's on our Columbia Chronicle YouTube page where Bridget goes and covers the multi, or the, the ultimate Frisbee team. But in the final seconds of the episode, is there anything else we're missing? Join Ultimate Frisbee if that's what you want to do. Yeah. If you're feeling it, you can join. I have no idea how to do that. But I think someone will. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition of Available on Campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, I've been your host, Blaze Mesa. Until next time.